Almighty God, as we come to your word of life, cause your Holy Spirit to breathe wisdom and willingness into us that we might readily hear your teaching and find in you our all in all. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Is it just me or does it seem like there are a number of things in life we're just not prepared for? It is kind of a throwback to me, uh, thinking and dwelling upon that uh, that scene in um, The Fellowship of the Ring, uh, the, the first of the three volumes of the Lords of the Ring uh, trilogy by J.R.R. Tolkien, and that uh, one uh, utterance of Frodo the Hobbit, who is charged with taking the Ring of Power to Mount Doom to be destroyed, I won't give you the spoiler alert. It's worth reading the books yourself. But Frodo is quoting his uncle Bilbo uh, when Bilbo said one time, it's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out of your door. You step into the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. And it's not just a journey or an adventure in our life when it happens. It's also when we receive the mercies and the gifts of God. And this we find in our Old Testament passage from 2 Kings, which you can find on pages 7 and 8 of your bulletin. And uh, in this, as, as we're tracking the story, it's no doubt the Shunammite woman's experience is a very dodgy one. Um, it's probably a ride she would not have envisioned when she first gave hospitality to the prophet Elisha, giving him food, her husband adding on a room to their house. And she receives these mercies and these gifts from God and the gift of a son, and then all of a sudden that's yanked away from her. And that poses a question to us today in 2024 as well as followers of Jesus, because we too are recipients at God's timing and at his pleasure of his mercies and his gifts. So as we begin to explore the Second Kings passage, I would ask, where does that lead you? Do you think that receiving God's mercies and gifts is all peaches and cream, or do you find it to be as Frodo said, a dangerous business. In other words, what is it like to receive God's goodness? So maybe uh, we can discover some things by tracking the story. We see a lot of goodness given uh, to this Shunammite woman starting out. Uh, Elisha wants to do something kind and and beneficial to her in response for what she has done uh, for him. basically creating a bed and breakfast within her own house for the prophet. And so you have that exchange uh, between he uh, and the woman. He's asking her, well, can maybe a word in the ear of the king uh, give you some extra protection? She says, I dwell among my own people. It's, that's the way of saying, I'm good. I have all I need. Her husband's uh, allegedly wealthy and uh, has a good bit of land. She's saying, I'm set. Uh, but Gehazi, uh, Elisha's assistant, lets it slip. Well, she has no son. Uh, her husband's old. There's, in other words, there's going to be no one to take over the family business afterwards. They'd be dead in the water there. And so he tells her this time next year, 
a phrase that's only used once elsewhere in the Old Testament with Sarah in Genesis 18, when she was 89 years of age, didn't have a son, and she's told this time next year you will have a son. Uh, it was a bit too much for her then. It's a bit too much for the Shunammite woman here. And uh, she says, no, 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 don't, don't lie to me. And then the gift comes about. Uh, verse 17, the woman can see as she bore a son about that time the following spring. Something notable about this goodness of God, it's, it's not like there's, there's a critical issue facing the, this woman or, or, or this family other than seeing where the family business goes. It's not like um, uh, you know, keeping the, the line of promise leading on to Jesus. And if one person is wiped out, then the whole line uh, goes. There's nothing in terms of redemptive history that this has to occur. You're like, then why does God do this? Well, sometimes uh, here in Scripture and also in the lives of God's people, grace does, it does occur due to emergency and to critical mass. But sometimes it happens just because God wants to bless you. It happens because it's God's nature. And maybe some of us have this picture of God being like Ebenezer Scrooge from A Christmas Carol. Very stingy. Okay? Almost like, oh, give you what you need, but oh my goodness, what a trial. It's not like that with, with God. God is generous because it's his nature. And sometimes it is just that simple that to realize we serve a generous and abundant and loving and extravagant God. And yet that's where we, where we end up with this conundrum. Uh, if, if, the, if we have a soundtrack set to this story in 2 Kings 4, we almost feel the melancholy music being pumped in at this point. In verse 18, the child had grown. The child never is, we never find out the child's name or the woman's name find that interesting, but he goes out one day, he's uh, among the reapers, so he's in the field running around and uh, says to his father, my head, my head, maybe it's sunstroke, maybe it's something else, but the bottom line is he's taken into his mother, she holds him on his lap till noon, and then he dies. We have very quick coverage of his life, and then he dies. God gives her a splash of mercy and then God blots that out. That is the irony, in some cases, of the faithful life of the follower of Jesus. God blesses us, and then that very blessing he gives you can put you into the wood chipper of great need. And you're left wondering, why was God so generous and good to begin with? Is he just toying with me? And those questions arise. And so she closes the door. She, she, she lays him in Elisha's bed in the add-on, shuts the door behind him, and goes out. And she's closing the door and going out to re a reality that what God has given, he has taken from her. Without explanation. 
I mean, we, we're the readers. We have the reader's edge. We see where this goes. She didn't at the time. In the midst of our trials, when God's goodness is given and then taken away and wrenched away from us, we're left wondering what's going on. Why does God do that? Why does he supply only to shatter? Why does he provide only to plunder? Why does he gladden his children's hearts only to allow grief to overwhelm them in the wake of joy? I had to deal with this a good bit over the last couple months with the experience of a friend and colleague from work. Um, we prayed for him a, a few times here. His name is Kyle Roth. Kyle's a very talented, very energetic uh, English teacher um, who serves alongside me at Westminster Christian Academy. And it was in November sometime that he went to uh, his eye doctor, and all of a sudden his blood pressure was going through the roof. He had a lot of cranial pressure. His vision got blurry. He was sent to the emergency room. MRIs and everything weren't picking up uh, anything of critical nature, and then eventually he had to go back into the hospital. He had to have a few surgeries. Uh, He had to have something done to his optic nerve. He had a shunt put in his brain to to deal with the pressure, which has helped somewhat, but what has happened is his vision has lessened and lessened and lessened to where now he is practically legally blind. And if he's going through a parking lot or anywhere, he has to hold on to someone, his wife or whoever, to get around. God has given him a talent to read and to pass on the great redemptive truths of literature, and now that has been taken away from him. And I'm sure there have been times that Kyle has wondered why. There are times among his friends like me that were wondering why. Why does God do that. Or even if you don't believe God does that, you at least have to ask the question, why does God permit that? And I don't have the answer for that up front, but maybe the Bible is presenting this issue in the experience of the Shunammite women because it's worth us considering it. To confront that it happens and to recognize that the Christian life is not a Disney world. So gifts are given, but they are taken away. Which leads to the next movement in this story. What's her response? As we consider what's it like to receive God's goodness. Now it's taken away. Well, verse 21, uh, she says she went out. And uh, if we fast forward to verse 25, she's in the middle of this journey from Shunem, which is in the northern hill country of Israel, to Mount Carmel, near the, near the Mediterranean Sea. But to get there, she's going there on a donkey. Uh, and she has to go downhill uh, into the, the valley, to the river valley, and, and then go along the river, and then go up in elevation to Mount Carmel. Um, it's about a 20-mile journey down along the river valley, and up on a donkey. Okay, donkeys don't move very fast even when they're not carrying human beings. I can't imagine what this was like for her. Um, it, it couldn't have been very speedy. So understand what's going on here that's not being said in the text. 
She's lost her child. She's sequestered him in a room. She's got these questions. She goes downhill on a donkey, traverses a river valley, and goes up in elevation to Mount Carmel, all of which would have been taking the better part of a full day, if not more. And then we come to uh, we we come to the point where she grabs his uh, she grabs his she, she, she caught hold of his feet verse twenty seven and Elijah says leave her alone she's in bitter distress and this can be very unsettling if you think about it and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me so even the person she goes to doesn't have the answers he doesn't have a clue. What is going on? And she says, this isn't what I asked for. Didn't I say, do not lie to me? How common that is in the experience of God's people where we have those questions, where we have the abject terror and horror and, 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 and roiling questions within us that we pose to God. I realize she's posing this to Elisha, but as the man of God, as the prophet, as the mouthpiece of God to God's people, this means she's practically going to God himself. And yet notice her posture. She's clutching his feet, she's bowed low, she's reaching out to him. By going to Elisha, by going to the man of God, she is pursuing God himself, even in her grief, even in her confusion, even in, in her tears. And, and this pursuit that she goes on does not mean that she has calculated how the story will end. It does not mean that she knows even if it will end well. She doesn't know what Elisha will do. And even Elisha doesn't know what he's going to do because he doesn't know at first what's going on. And yet there's something coming out of this that is incredibly beautiful because ultimately it shows that the particulars of what we endure ultimately are not the issue. But this principle does apply. Because what this Shunammite woman shows us here is that in the midst of the questions, in the midst of the hardship, in the midst of the trial, there are times we have to pull away from the what and the where and the why and the how and instead pursue the who. She's not sure of what God is doing but she is reaching out for God himself. You can be maddened by the perplexities of God, but you can still trust in the person of God. There's a word for that. It's called faith. Even in the questions and even in the darkness, this can actually be very encouraging if we think about this. Because you don't have to calm yourself and gut up and just believe in spite of the evidence. Trust can involve tears. Reliance can be incredibly rocky at times, but that can free us up. 
Because it's not the intensity of your faith, or the level of your faith, or the amount of your faith that matters, but what matters is the object of your faith. Even in the darkness, do you reach out to God? And that brings us to an even more wonderful encouragement. That a stormy faith can be just as beautiful and desirable to God as a serene faith, as long as we are reaching out to Him. And so as the the story wraps up, we we have uh, Gehazi's failure to revive him, and so Elisha comes into the house and kind of goes through the details there. Uh, we finally have that glorious scene where he sneezes seven times before he even opens his eyes, uh, which I always find um, interesting. Um, and then he revives. Uh, he's raised from death, and, and he's given back to, to his mother, and, and the story ends well. Um, so Elisha restores the Shunammite woman's son. But I'd wager there's more that here. This is, in a sense, a preview, in a way, of what's to come. Kind of see previews in our own lives back in 2009 when we were going to get a dog and taking that great step of responsibility of having a pet, especially a dog uh, in the house and everything, and, and getting, because let's face it, that's an adjustment. Having a pet's an adjustment, but um, uh, my wife was able to uh, to get online with the the shelter out out in uh, out in Colombia, and um, uh, we we just uh, basically targeted, figured that uh, that one particular dog was going to be ours, and that's who ended up becoming Gretel, our, our little uh, half retriever, half moron, uh, whom we just loved uh, uh, until uh, she passed away. But I, I just remember looking at the pictures online, even before we got her, it's like we got a preview uh, of the joy that was to come just by gazing at her picture as a puppy. And this is a preview of what's to come. And, and understand there, there's still limits to, to what goes on here. Uh, with, with Elijah raising uh, th- this boy, uh, because he eventually probably grew older, took over the family business, but he died, and, and he's still in the ground. Uh, even what Jesus did in his earthly ministry, raising the daughter of, of Jairus, the, the synagogue uh, leader, uh, from, from death, uh, stopping a funeral in the town of Nain, which, by the way, is only two miles uh, from this location in Shunem, and, and Jesus uh, raises the, the only son of, of a widow uh, from death, uh, and but he probably continued on in life, and then he died. Even Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead in John chapter 11, eventually died again. So we understand this is not a, a raising to continual life and never dying again, but it still places us here that we recognize even death cannot put you beyond Jesus' reach. Even death does not have the final word. Death is not the ultimate certainty. Jesus is. And if Jesus has the final word over death, 
then can't we trust him for the details of our lives for as long as we dwell on this earth? So, circling back to our original question, what is it like to receive God's goodness? As we struggle through the storyline of this passage, God's word shows us God's mercies are a mixed bag. And there's no telling where we might be swept off to, as Frodo might tell us, because we get sadness and joy. There is hardship and hope. There is grief and there is grace side by side. And in the midst of that, it's very easy to focus on our circumstances as we endure through trials, even when God's goodness seems to be taken away from us. It's natural, but I think the writer of Second Kings is trying to force us beyond that. It reminds of a situation in our family from years back. My uncle Red uh, was a very talented baseball player. He was a pitcher. He went off to play college baseball at the University of Northern Colorado. And there was a point late in the regular season where the coach of the team really wanted to nail down some victories in, in the push towards the end of the year. And so he, he tapped uh, Red to pitch five times in eight days. Uh, and it was in that fifth game that Red reared back and threw and he felt something pop. And his arm was never going to be the same. And his career was over. And not only that, his future in baseball vaporized because the Boston Braves, which should tell you how long ago this was, uh, the Boston Braves had been scouting him and were sure to offer him a contract. And so his major league dreams were shattered. And my dad asked him at one point, do you ever regret not making it in professional baseball? To which Red said, no. In truth, I don't. Because first of all, if I had made it, I never would have met Joan, his wife. And he said, besides, at that point, baseball was my God. And God needed to take care of Maybe, just maybe, the mixed bag of these gifts ultimately point us to trust in the giver. Does God want us to enjoy what he gives? Yes, but more than that, God wants your trust in him. That in the jams and the joys of your journey, that you might place your trusting hearts in his hands. Amen. Gracious Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks that in this mixed bag of our experience, you give grace and hope. Cause us, we pray, to treasure you above the good things we receive from your hand, and may we trust you to grip us tightly, looking to you as we journey on. In your precious name we pray. Amen.